Blog Talk Radio. The opinions and views expressed by the host and guest are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Blake Radio Network. Broadcasting, broadcasting, broadcasting to the world, broadcasting to the world, to the world, to the world, spreading the news and information. BlakeRadio.com, music for your mind, body, and soul. It is Tuesday, September 27th, and it is 6 p.m. Eastern Time. And today's topic is, could a doctor strike save your life? Yep, it's possible. And we are going to find out. First off, I'd like to remind people that uh, Thursday, September 29th at 4 p.m. Central Time, you are cordially invited to a webinar that I'm holding. And the title is, How the Emergency Room Leads to Dangerous Therapies Without Your Consent. And of course, healing yourself naturally is the only way to prevent being a victim of the emergency room catastrophe. So on that webinar, I'm going to reveal the three secret dangers of the emergency room and how to overcome them. To register for them, just go to vitalitycapsules.com forward slash bonus. Yep. Okay, now we are going to get started on our very exciting topic, which is, could a doctor's strike save your life? I'm telling you, you cannot make this stuff up. Nope. You cannot make this stuff up. So when I was a kid, my father would say to me, He'd say, those, those doctors, just a bunch of killers. I'd say, oh, my God. He said, yep, every time doctors go on strike, the death rate goes down. And this was something that I was just very skeptical about. I said, well, it can't be. I mean, if this was really true, then why would there be doctors? Why would there be licenses? Why would there be hospitals? So I figured, you know, Dad was just exaggerating. And then I heard it again and again. And I decided, I'm going to look into this. I'm going to look into this and see if perhaps there might be some truth to it or, well, you know, maybe it wasn't true. You never know. Sometimes, you know, you can't believe everything you hear. So I checked it out. So first thing we we need to know is that the average risk of death uh, in the hospital is literally 1% per day. That's 
Now, if a person is not in the hospital, walking around, whatever, or just sitting at home, the chances of death would be uh, point zero zero eight. Right. So instead of uh, point zero zero. But anyway, the point is, we take a ratio of a person's chances of dying in the hospital. It is 81 times the risk of death if the person stayed home. Few diseases, even life-threatening ones, are that deadly. And so, also, 20% of people, 20 to 25%, get ill as a result of their care. Of those, 1 in 30 die. And the average hospital stay, as I mentioned, is only 4 days. Uh, and the average death rate is only 0.008 per 365 days for the average American. So if we take this uh, hospital death rate of 0.0025 and multiply it by 365, then the annualized death rate for the hospitals is, is pretty darn high. So the the actual death rate for the hospital is 1.7 of every 1,000 patients will die each day of hospitalization. And if that same person was not in the hospital, the uh, death rate per 1,000 would be 8 per year. And so the per day death rate is 1.7 when the per year death rate, if you're not in a hospital, is only eight per thousand. And this is just from doctor, uh, doctor-induced situations. So in other words, these people would have lived had the hospital been closed, say, due to a strike. So, so what we have to figure out then is, so we calculate all this stuff, we figure the daily risk, we have to take this 8 per 1,000 and literally divide it by 365 to get the daily risk of death the average person faces like just every day of their life. And that's like 2.2 per 100,000 people every day will die just for random causes. And this is skewed because, of course, the hospital kill rates uh, you know, are also averaged into that number of total causes. So at least people should return to home visits where the doctor visits them in the home and not go to the hospitals. So question then is when doctors go on strike, does the death rate go down? Mathematically, it must. We can calculate this. So hospital is 500 beds. It's closed for 30 days. That's going to save 25 lives every month the hospital is closed. So those people who die from hospital complications, according to this very favorable assessment by City University of New York. And so let's take a look at this favorable assessment by the City University of New York. Now, City University of New York, uh, you know, we can definitely accept this as a doctor favorable assessment, right? These people are part of a university system that has medical schools and hospitals and so this is what they say. Uh, 
So bypass surgery. Death rate drops during doctor strike. And this is a June 2000 issue. The British Medical Journal reports an interesting statistic that has occurred in Israel. It seems that three months ago, physicians in public hospitals implemented a program of sanctions in response to a labor dispute. In other words, they weren't getting paid over a contract proposed by the government. The article stated that the Israeli Medical Association began an action in March to protest the Treasury's proposal to impose a new four-year wage contract for doctors. Obviously, not one the doctors like. Since then, the medical doctors have canceled hundreds of thousands of visits to outpatient clinics and have postponed tens of thousands of elective operations. Now, just a note, this is my interjection. We know that even in elective operations, there is a death rate, right, due to bleeding, infection, and other complications. So obviously, postponing or not doing elective operations, we know, is going to lower the death rate. Because those people can't get hospital-acquired infections, they can't bleed to death because they weren't cut, so on. Okay. To find out whether the industrial action was affecting deaths in the country, the Jerusalem Post interviewed nonprofit-making Jewish burial societies, which performed funerals for the vast majority of Israelis. And so the veteran uh, director of this burial society said, the number of funerals we have performed has fallen drastically. Now, this is important to know because I, I understand the Jewish faith, you know, when someone dies, you have to bury them promptly. So uh, this actually is a pretty good measure just because of their cultural practice. So manager of the funeral uh, parlor, which buries most other residents of Jerusalem, declared with much more certainty there definitely is a connection between the doctor's sanctions and fewer deaths. We saw the same thing in 1983 when the Israeli Medical Association applied sanctions for four and a half months. So this is in Israel, and these people in the burial business, that doctor strike was bad for business. All right. So in response, the director of the General Medical Association offered his own explanation. Mortality is not the only measure of harm to health. Well, hello. <laughs> Can you think of a better measure? I mean, if the death rate goes down, uh, can we say these people will maybe be better off alive? Or is there a new medical measure that says certain people are better off dead? Now, this is something you listeners need to take note of, that the medical industrial complex actually does believe that a certain number of you out there have lives so miserable, you're better off dead. Well, it's an interesting concept uh, when it's presented in medical school. I kind of shrugged my shoulders on that one. I'm like, well, since when does anyone go to a doctor and say, hey, I'm better off dead doing elective surgery? Hmm. So, uh, doctor-caused disease. This is another, and again, this is the, the doctor-favorable uh, assessment by the City University of New York. All right. And this is by Monty Klein. One of the most common causes of disease, if not the most common cause, is conventional medical doctors. Sad, but too often true. Medical harm, medical term coined to describe this problem is iatrogenic disease. From the Greek iatros, meaning physician, and genesis, meaning origin. Thus, we have doctor-caused disease. Specifically, 
This is defined as any adverse reaction, either major or minor, to a medical or surgical treatment. And, of course, the late Robert Mendelssohn uh, wrote, The greatest danger to your health is the doctor who practices modern medicine. I believe that modern medicine's treatment for disease are seldom effective, and they're often more dangerous than the diseases they're designed to treat. I believe that more than 90% of modern medicine could disappear from the face of the earth. Doctors, hospitals, drugs, and equipment, and the effect on our health would be immediate and beneficial. Now, that is, that's quite a statement. Not me speaking. This is a Dr. Mendelssohn, a duly licensed individual. And doctors on strike. Whenever medical doctors go on strike, a most interesting phenomenon occurs. Death rates go down. In 1976, in Bogota, Colombia, medical doctors went on strike for 52 days with only emergency care available. The death rate dropped by 35%. Now, this is actually very close to my calculation of 40% of deaths in the United States caused by physicians. In 1976, in Los Angeles County, a similar doctor's strike resulted in an 18% drop in death. As soon as the strike was over, the death rate went back to normal. A 50% decrease in mortality occurred in Israel in 1973 when there was a one-month doctor's strike. So this is, uh, this is the pattern here. So this is Israel, United States, Colombia, wherever modern allopathic medicine is practiced. So healthcare cutbacks, I personally think, Again, this is me, Dr. Daniel speaking. This is not any particular course I, you know, source I read. I believe that any individual should only have as much health care as they can personally afford, period. This would save a lot, a lot of lives. So let's take a few more, uh, a few more things. Health care cutbacks. Since the early 80s, we've heard a lot about the impact of managed care and health care cutbacks. Medical doctors and political liberals are screaming that people are dying for lack of services. Actually, just the opposite is true. Since the downsizing of conventional medical services in the 80s, life expectancy has made a massive jump, both in the U.S. and Canada. No drug therapy and surgical technique can be shown to have statistically increased the general life expectancy. No generation has had its life expectancy increase significantly since medical doctors began using chemical treatments. Researchers, John and Sonia McKinley, found that medical intervention could only account for at best 1% to 3.5% of the increase in the average lifespan in the U.S. since 1900. Now, this is pretty discouraging when you're thinking of 1% of, you know, 3 to 5 years. We're not talking about a month or two. Most people, if you ask them, would they spend 300000 of their wealth to live two more months? Not everybody would say yes. In fact, I'd say most people probably would not say yes, especially if that uh, those two or three months were spent on a uh, ventilator or in a nursing home. So dangerous drugs. Alternative Cancer Treatment Authority, Dr. Moss, He's before our time, notes that a 1999 article in the Journal of the American Medical Association stated 
that prescription drugs kill over 100,000 people per year in U.S. hospitals. And the FDA, who approves all these drugs, back in 1978 said 1.5 million Americans were hospitalized as a result of taking medical drugs. In fact, one in seven hospital beds is taken up by patients suffering from adverse drug reactions. Now, one in seven, that's a pretty hefty amount. Um, That's about 14%. The significance of this, of course, is that the profit margin for hospitals is only 5%. Correct. So if drug use ceased and drug adverse reactions ceased, hospitals as a whole would have to close because they would immediately become unprofitable. Unprofitable. And this is, a, this is an important concept to grasp because there's zero incentive for hospitals, drug companies, or even insurance companies for that matter, to end the harm being done to people because without that harm, the industry would collapse. Okay. And the General Accounting Office stated that 51% of all drugs introduced between 76 and 85 had to be relabeled because of serious adverse reactions found after the marketing of the drug. Reactions like heart, liver, kidney failure, birth defects, blood disorders, respiratory tract, respiratory arrest, basically death, seizures, and blindness. And reactions have to be really just that serious for the FDA to insist on even relabeling. We're not even talking about withdrawing, just relabeling. And so, of course, these drugs uh, contribute to the, the, the problem. In other words, they contribute to the increased death rate. So it's easy to see that hospitals being closed, doctors being on strike would definitely result in uh, benefit. Drug company bribery. Now, drug company bribery, this is something people, you know, complain about, oh my God, the drug companies are so unethical and they pay these bribes. But wait, but wait. The government has passed new rules saying that drug companies have to pay the FDA for certain approval processes and for getting their drugs expedited. What is that but a legalized bribe? That's all it is. So now the bribes are out in the open because the companies are directly paying the FDA. And so the FDA, you would think, would certify or evaluate any material to see if it was safe and effective. But no, 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 no. Only companies or entities that have enough money to pay these fees, we'll call them legalized bribes, can get the materials approved. So now it's just been kind of uh, legalized. And so drug companies spend thousands of dollars per year on each medical doctor selling them on using their particular products. I can definitely testify to that. When I was practicing medicine, I could have taken me and my children out to the finest restaurants and most expensive restaurants in Syracuse every night of the week if I had chosen to accept the various invitations. You can imagine this is a huge help for uh, the food bill 
And it saves a lot of money shopping for groceries and cooking and preparing food. But uh, I happen to be vegan at the time and eating 100% organic. And so, of course, I wasn't too keen on going out. So, um, But I, I could see with all the invitations spilling uh, over my desk that this was certainly a possibility, and there may have been many doctors who were literally feeding their families on these drug company invitations. So they hired detailed men to visit physicians' offices, give them drug samples. These salesmen, who are not doctors and have no medical or pharmaceutical background, tell your medical doctor what drugs to use for what problems, and that's true. And they even, well, stretch the truth. Drug companies start this process early by offering medical students gifts free trips to conferences, and free educational material, of course, written by the drug companies biased towards their drugs, which translated means propaganda on that drug company's products. Now, I just have to pause here. Medical school is extremely, extremely expensive, and people try all kinds of ways to try and pay, minimize the amount of debt they take. And personally, I ate every other day for every year of medical school. It saved me time, and it saved me money. So as you can imagine, I was pretty much hungry at all times. I pretty much always had an empty stomach. And you can imagine when the only food provided, and it was always provided, every day there was a big spread, was provided by the drug company. Now, not every day was I in a rotation or a situation where I had access to these, what was always um, white bread uh, with uh, processed nitrite-filled non-organic cold cuts. But this is what they um, constantly provided. And so by the time I graduated from medical school, I associated drug companies with, well, food. And so the result of all this usually is a massive overprescription of drugs, prescribing of drugs. And I can tell you, my first year in, ma- in medical practice, I definitely overprescribed drugs. Definitely. Um, now, there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, basically... I would say the indoctrination, but because of the overprescribing and because I was in solo practice, I could see, wait, these drugs are not working. But most doctors work in group practices. Um, they don't get the after hours calls about their drugs, either A, not working or causing side effects. Some other doctor gets those calls. So drug companies don't stop with just practicing uh, doctors, though. They also direct money towards hospitals, medical schools, and supposedly independent research institutions. And I can tell you, you know, I went to one of the better medical schools. Literally, the drug reps were sitting in the audience among the medical students, supervising the professors as they gave their lectures. And in one case, the professor actually shouted out to the drug rep, said, did I cover that okay? And the drug rep said, yep, yep, everything's fine. So this is... Uh, this is the quality of medical education in 1979 to 83. You can imagine uh, what it is now. So medical schools, for example, get grants for clinical trials. That's true. Pharmaceutical research or even buildings. And these companies have gained massive influence over teaching institutions by spreading the money around. And this is from a doctor at the University of California. And Pharmaceutical companies, by enlisting the aid of influential academic doctors, have gained control of the practice of medicine in the United States. This is absolutely true. Um, I realized this 
when after graduation, I would go to continuing medical education courses, and they would say, well, we have XYZ condition, use ABC drugs, even though there's no evidence they work, this is something you need to offer the patient. I said, what? Why would I do that? Why would I offer the patient something that's not going to work? And sure enough, standard of care eventually was published indicating that this ineffective drug should be used. And so uh, when you have a doctor's strike, obviously fewer prescriptions are written. And then there's the hazards of hospitalization, which are just incredible. Hospitals are a hotbed of iatrogenic disease. And this is why when Ebola emerged, let's call it that, and they decide they're going to have hospitals manage this pandemic, I'm like, what? You have hospitals, a place where any disease you care to think of spreads more freely. If anything, if you want to stop the spread of an infectious disease, you need to shut down the hospitals. So I, uh, it didn't make any sense to me when uh, the hospitals were designated as the front line to guard the country against an infection of any kind. And so every year, 2 million people are admitted to hospitals with one health problem and end up with another health problem. These doctor-caused illnesses kill, he estimates 20,000 people annually. We know now that that is a very low number. That doesn't even uh, handle or account for the hospital-acquired infections, let alone operative complications and various other causes of death in the hospital. So a study in the Southern Medical Journal reported that one in five patients admitted to a university hospital acquires an iatrogenic disease. That would be 20%. And it's pretty close to the 27% that um, the Medicare report on uh, medical harm came up with. And one in 30 of these lead to death. That's 3%. Of these iatrogenic deaths, half are complications of drug therapy, 10% result from improper diagnostic procedures, and another study of 815 consecutive patients in a university hospital over an eight-month period found that 36% had disease caused by their doctor. In 2% of the cases, the atrogenic disease was believed to be a cause of the patient's death. So that is huge. So 815 consecutive patients it was found that 2% of the cases, the antigenic disease was caused, the cause of the patient's death. This is a higher estimate than the 1% I estimate using retrospective data. But this is actually a more reliable measure because it took 815 consecutive patients. If you project that figure out, assuming 2% of all hospital patients die from iatrogenic disease, you get 700,000 hospital doctor-caused deaths per year. Again, one-third of all deaths. This is just from the hospital. Um, when I estimated my 880,000, I actually considered outpatient deaths, people who died uh, from a doctor's therapy but died as an outpatient. So these numbers are, are huge. And if you start with the 700,000 for inpatient deaths alone, then you add in the outpatient deaths, you can easily get over a million deaths per year and over 50% of all deaths being caused by medical intervention. And so obviously, if you get 700,000 doctor-caused deaths per year, 
then when the hospital, the doctors go on strike, you can expect a pretty drastic decline in deaths. Then, of course, we have hospital inspections, uh, which are a huge uh, cause of uh, patient deaths. And then surgery, <laughs> Dr. Mannix declared in the New York State Journal of Medicine, errors in judgment or technique concerning either the anesthesia or surgery or a combination of the two contribute to close to 50% of deaths in the operating room. I think what that translates to is that disease is only responsible for 50% of the deaths on the operating table, while doctors are responsible for the other 50% of deaths. And uh, the McCarthy-Widmer study in New England Journal of Medicine noted the following, 20% of all surgeries are necessary. Now, you have to understand what this means. This doesn't mean that it's elective surgery or plastic surgery. This means the reason the patient was given for having a surgery was untrue or not valid. And that is pretty shocking. So in other words, if you go to the emergency room and the doctor says, ah, you have to have this surgery or you're going to die, at least 20% chance he is totally incorrect. And my personal experience, I've had uh, four unnecessary surgeries, um, all of which were actually three of them were declared to be emergency surgeries. So, uh, you know, 100% rate of unnecessary surgery is what I can personally attest to. But um, of those unnecessary surgeries, it might be that according to the medical industrial complex criteria, maybe one of them might have been necessary. But this is, um, this is amazing. And so unnecessary surgery costs consumers over $3 billion a year. That's not true. Unnecessary surgery creates over $3 billion a year of profits and revenue. So let's, let's dispense with this cost thing. This $3 billion is a very desirable number, a very desirable figure, and really buttresses up a whole industry. And there are 2.4 million unnecessary operations annually and at least 12,000 unnecessary deaths each year. And so <laughs> another study showed that when a second specialist was consulted, 18% of the time he disagreed with doing the surgery. So this is, uh, this is amazing. So protecting yourself from doctors, and I think that these people are very, uh, you know, very mild in their suggestions, but this is what they say. One, buyer beware. Don't assume your doctor knows everything or even anything or they necessarily know what's best for you. Use your doctor like you use your lawyer or CPA. Someone to give you counsel with you making the final decision. So that's number one. Buyer beware. And that's actually what you are. You really are a buyer. A lot of people say, well, you know, I use my insurance. Uh Uh-uh. You paid. Every single month you paid your premiums. You are the buyer. Don't panic with sickness. And um, they say sickness is an opportunity to learn about your body's need to seek God's direction. And quite frankly, even though uh, I don't have any background in religion here, as dangerous as doctors are, I don't know of any religion on earth that is more dangerous. So whatever your religion is you might be practicing, your sickness should be an opportunity for you to turn to your God uh, for healing because he's going to do a much better job than your certified doctor. And they... uh, 
quote from the Bible, uh, King uh, Asa in the Old Testament. So there you go. Uh, you Christians out there, you know, practice your religion for sure. Avoid treating symptoms. There would be little iatrogenic disease if people were not so intent on treating symptoms. Instead, you must get down to root causes, which usually means lifestyle change. Now, doctors don't specialize in this. They don't treat any causes. Every disease in medical school is presented as there is no cause, there is no cure, give this medication. And so it was very uh, superficial. I was actually quite disappointed. But uh, doctors are trained to treat only symptoms. Don't quick fix the pain. Get over the idea that pain is something that has to be immediately eliminated at any cost. That view encourages a lot of symptom treatment and resulting drug iatrogenesis. Pain is a warning something's wrong. So fix the underlying cause, and that will fix the pain. Then seek appropriate health services, the old saying, never ask a barber if you need a haircut. <laughs> Don't expect anything but a prescription drug for symptoms when you go to a medical doctor. If you want to deal with underlying causes, go to the appropriate natural healer, of course. Of course, if you have an emergency situation or some type of acute problem, conventional medicine is best equipped to deal with that. So being a medical doctor, trained in medicine, having worked in the emergency room, I can tell you that is not true. Totally not true. And so I say stimulate healing, don't sabotage it. Um, Like frequent use of antibiotics, we talked about this last week, they destroy your natural immunity and thus open the door for more iatrogenic problems. Focus on detoxifying nutrient deficiencies, and exercise to free your body to heal. All right. So then 08 is when we have enough another uh, entry here. When doctors go on strike, does the death rate go down? And um, this person says, hey, I came across a number of seemingly credible reports suggesting that every time doctors go on strike, the overall death rate goes down, in some cases quite precipitously. Can you ascertain if this is fact? Is this the case or some other factors at work here? And so uh, this is where we get to the uh, medical industrial complex uh, support. Okay. So as we'll see below, it's not really so surprising that mortality statistics somehow show a drop during a doctor's strike. What's staggering is that a reasonable person could see such numbers and for even an instant think that doctors are killing them. Sure, there will always be a few alternative medicine fringe dwellers who genuinely see the medical establishment as some sinister cabal presiding over a high-density feedlot of human misery. But the way this fact about doctor's strike gets passed around suggests a lot more people are a little more nuts than you'd want to imagine. Okay, so again, City University of New York, this is what we expect. And so, but wait, let's take a look at their defense. What are the numbers in their defense of these doctors indicating that maybe it really is safe to go back in the water? Maybe it really is safe to go see doctors. So one example that's often cited is of that of a month-long strike by Los Angeles County physicians in 76, during which mortality rate for patients was seen to drop by 18%. Okay, so this is referenced earlier. So 
what they're saying is, this is a 76, but a 1979 study of the American Journal of Public Health showed that the overall area death rate remained unchanged since enough personnel remained on duty to handle the real emergencies. Any seeming benefit to patients' health likely resulted from 11,000 fewer operations being performed that month than was typical, meaning that an estimated 50 to 150 patients who could have been, who could have, uh, been expected to die didn't. Well, wait. He's saying death rates did not go down, but they did go down. So this is the, really the only kind of reasoning uh, that can support this whole uh, medical industrial complex thing. He said, well, it didn't go down, uh, but it did. So, all right, so that's one defense. And this is, this is, you know, pretty strong defense. Like, you know, these kooks who think doctors are dangerous, by golly, that's, that's just not true. Not true. Of course, there's uh, 150 patients who didn't die that probably would have died. Well, but wait, that means there were people who actually, their lives were saved because of the doctor strike. Okay. Next, a four-month Israeli doctor strike, we're going to debunk this one, in 1983 was found to have some definable effects on public health. The percentage of cesarean sections increased somewhat, and one study suggested hypertension patients might have received worse treatment, but no observed impact on mortality. Well, wait, if the treatment they received did not impact their mortality, then how can you say that they got worse treatment? What was the measure? Nonetheless, the popular wisdom saw the work stoppage as a disaster. A detailed study of public perceptions afterward found that nearly one in four urgent care patients felt the strike had resulted in major health problems. Okay, so this is a perception. So they're going to replace the data of a 50% reduction in death with a perception. Okay. This is, again, certainly an unscientific and very weak defense. 1984, Dr. Strike, and still, just by the way, what they're saying was no definable effects on public health, which means death rate did not go down, did not go up. In 1984, Dr. Strike in Varkas, Finland, mainly meant fewer visits for colds and stomach aches. No significant harmful effects on the public were seen. So in other words, if you have a cold or stomach ache, don't go see the doctor. Researchers found, and the uptick in visits after doctors returned to work suggested patients were glad to have them back. But wait, we, we are asking, did mortality rates go down? So we can deduce from this that mortality rates did not go up or did not go down. Okay, now this is the best defense they can find for the medical industrial complex. Another key example used to support the proposition that fewer doctors means fewer deaths comes from the 2000 article in the British Medical Journal written during another Israeli strike. The author reported that in the three months after doctors walked out, death rates fell significantly in affected cities. However, his data was by no means a result of scientific study, but consisted mostly of anecdotal reports from funeral home directors. Now, this is not anecdotal reports. Funeral home directors says we don't 
We don't have the bodies. Where are the bodies? Who claim they've seen the same thing in 83. What is known is that, as in the Los Angeles strike, many thousands of elective surgeries were postponed, but emergency rooms and chronic care departments remained open. Okay, so they're saying the people who did this study shouldn't take anecdotal information from the funeral home directors, who it wasn't anecdotal information. They could probably show you their financial records to show that they just weren't getting the bodies. The bodies weren't coming in. And since we know it's a Jewish culture where you've got to bury the bodies, um, the, the lack of bodies definitely is a lack of death. So while these researchers in defense of the medical industrial complex say, wait, you can't use anecdotal evidence to point to a decline, they're using anecdotal evidence as by asking, you know, citizens, are you happy to have the doctors back to work? So they're using anecdotal evidence in their defense, but they're saying, no, you can't use anecdotal evidence against this. Okay. In 2003, a SARS outbreak, that's the uh, sudden acute respiratory uh, syndrome, closed four hospitals in Toronto, and all non-emergency services were suspended. Among other things, this led to a canceling to a quarter to a half of joint replacement surgeries, 40% of heart surgeries, and 93% of outpatient procedures. The result? The greater Toronto area did see a slight dip in mortality rate relative to the prior two years, but so did the rest of Ontario. And the decrease was not statistically, statistically significant anyway. But wait, you mean there wasn't an increase? So the defense of the medical industrial complex is that despite medical suggestions to the contrary, doctors going on strike doesn't seem to have much effect on death rate one way or the other. And any reduction seen is probably the result of postponed or canceled non-emergency surgeries. In other words, people who would have died of complications did not die because their non-emergency surgery was postponed or canceled. And that figures... Any surgery is risky, and some common procedures like coronary artery bypass or aneurysm repair have a death rate that you can't ignore. But leaving the tummy tucks out of it, most elective surgeries boast a pretty serious payoff, either in quality of life improvement right now or medical trouble avoided down the line. So what you're saying is there is no increased death rate due to medical intervention, but there is an increased death rate due to medical intervention, and besides, the death rate is worth it. All right. If 600 people die each year as a result of hip replacement surgery, does that mean the 200,000 plus patients that pulled through were fools to undergo the knife? I think that's an individual decision. You're welcome to calculate the odds however you like, and in certain cases, it may well make sense to question the value of surgery. As a general proposition, though, if my health is on the line, I'm glad to hear that the doctor is in. Okay, so this is the resounding support. Let's just take this at face value. I mean, face value. Let's not even dig into it. But what are we saying? What we're saying is the $3 trillion the United States spends on health care every year has zero effect on health. So the $3 trillion, in exchange for $3 trillion that Americans are digging out of their pocket, and they're paying it in forms of various health taxes, uh, monthly premiums, co-pays, deductibles, um, however those expenses look, look like, Americans are, be, are being asked, even coerced, to part with $3 trillion, 
trillion trillion dollars for something that even the defenders of the medical industrial complex say does not save a single life, does not improve a person's length of life. And to say that 200,000 people should undergo a hip replacement, which is an optional procedure, by the way. So if a person's undergoing hip replacement, say, instead of being in a wheelchair, that those people, at least 600 of them, are better off dead. And that the ones that didn't die or are not destined to die uh, should definitely take the gamble because it's worth it. Well, but wait a minute. If we apply the 2% death rate here, then it's really 4,000 of these hip replacement people who are going to die. It's not 600. It's 4,000. So really, you know, you've got this uh, 2% death rate, and I think it's the individual patient's decision as to whether or not they want to go with this 2% death rate. And especially if you have a condition that is not going to lead to death, um, it's reasonable to decide, you know what, I'm going to pick another way of handling it that's not deadly, and or I'm going to just skip it and do the best I can. But with this defense, this is doctor defense, doctor biased, positive source here, City University of New York, they say yes. Americans have been the victim of a $3 trillion swindle. $3 trillion Americans are being asked to part with, and now with the Insurance Act, forced to part with, there's absolutely no benefit in terms of longevity. And it's shocking that for these coronary artery bypass or aneurysm repair people, none of them died of a disease waiting for the surgery. These are considered non-essential surgeries. And these surgeries carry a substantial, substantial mortality rate. So the aneurysm repairs, you're looking at 10% uh, death rate. I mean, that's if everything goes well. So this is, uh, this is really shocking. So what is a person to do? What is a person to do? Like, what good would I be if I just got you all riled up and didn't give you any kind of reasonable solution? All right. So. So we figured out that the death rate, again, best case scenario, didn't go down, but it didn't go up either when doctors go on strike. So the net effect of doctors on health is basically zippo, zero, nada. Hmm. Well, as I said, you would think that a $3 trillion a year industry, there should be some beneficial impact of doctors showing up to work, don't you think? And hospitals being open? Is it really acceptable that death rates fail to rise when medical services are not available? Is it okay to say that we citizens are paying $3 trillion for something that does not make a difference? Would you even spend $50,000 on something that was useless? How would you feel after you spent the money and found out it was useless? That's the way you should feel now about the medical industrial complex. You've probably spent more than $50,000 in insurance premiums. Can we really say that deferred elective surgery 
causes death in the future. That's another excuse they give. This is just false. How many plastic surgeries would result in death if not done? If it affects a person's death rate now or in the future, it's not elective. I mean, is it really okay to say, hey, that medical care that Americans pay $3 trillion for is useless? Would you be okay with checking out the grocery store with a cart full of food, pay the tab, and the grocery tells you, uh, no groceries for you today. We're following the medical model. We're doing no harm. So we won't be letting you take these groceries home. Uh, but thank you for your money. That's outrageous. Totally unacceptable. So am I suggesting the hospitals close today? No, not at all. Nope, nope, nope. I am suggesting we pretend they are closed. How do we do that? Well, every person should have only the amount of health care, as I said, that they can afford. This will cause many people to stay home, and it will save lots of lives and build wealth. And even if you take the doctor model that it's not going to save a single life, people are going to die, they would have died had they gone to the hospital anyway. That's what these numbers show, that according to the, the recalibrated numbers, it shows that doctors reporting to work every day, taking care of people, does not positively or beneficially impact the death rate in, and indirectly, of course, the life expectancy. So if you have health insurance, pretend that you don't have it. Your insurance company will probably deny your claim anyway and put it towards your deductible. So what should you do? Just pretend the doctors are on strike. Don't wait for them to have a strike. You can just pretend on your own that they are already on strike. That is the answer. And to help you do that, I actually have a webinar coming up this Thursday. And the topic of the webinar is how emergency rooms how emergency rooms lead you to dangerous therapies without your consent. And I'm going to cover the three secret dangers in the emergency room and how to overcome them. So if you go to vitalitycapsules.com forward slash bonus, B-O-N-U-S, you can register for the webinar. And we have a few more minutes, uh, enough for questions. So let me find the proper, uh, but people can also listen at Healing with, I'm not wish, listen, but chat at healingwithdrdaniels.chitango.com. And we have our call-in number. For, which is 914-338-0695. That's 914-338-0695. And I'm going to mosey on over to the chat room and see what questions they have there. All right, so move this over here. Let me go to the chat room. All right, great. <laughs> All right. Can they <laughs> Okay, Dr. Daniels, could they force a study involving a collection of countries providing that natural health proving that natural health treatments are better, safer, cheaper than standard of care in the US? No, you cannot force a study. You can finance the study, pay for the study, 
but you can't force a study. Okay. Uh, so the question is, what type of study, or would that type of study be blocked from even being started by places like the World Health Organization? There actually is really a plethora of studies showing that even in third world countries where people are dying from starvation, diarrhea, dehydration, disease, pestilence, that really the cure, if you want to call it that, is simply clean drinking water. There is no room for medical intervention. I mean, you can have doctors in white coats with stethoscopes handing out bottled water. You could do that. But uh, it's no secret that what they need is uh, natural, unprocessed food and clean drinking water, and they could pretty much take it from there. Um, there are rehydrating formulas, but basically it's you know salt, sugar, and water uh, that any actually illiterate person could mix. Give them a measuring cup, give them a measuring uh, water container with a line etched on it, put the water up to this line, put the sugar top here, put it in, put salt in this spoon, dump it in, boom, bang-a-bang. Done. So there is no evidence in these, you know, study after study after study. All these studies have been done. So I'm not quite sure what you're looking at. Even natural therapy, if you want to call it that, um, most of the afflictions affecting most people in the world um, don't even rise to the level of requiring natural therapy. If you just provide them with clean water and clean food, that would pretty much solve the problem. Okay. So I think anyone looking for research studies of any kind is basically not looking hard enough because the studies have already been done. Um, you can just Google whatever uh, condition you want, and there's an overwhelming amount of research showing natural-slash-lifestyle intervention is, is superior. That's personally how I got started. I was... Uh, working in my medical office, using the what I've been taught in medical school. I'm like, man, it just hasn't been adding up. These patients are not getting better. Let me go to the medical school library and let me look up diet and fill in the blank. And I don't care what disease you fill in the blank with, diet and hypertension, diet and diabetes, diet and whatever. Um, you will come up with a ton of research showing the research has indicated that just changing a diet is extremely effective. Okay, force a study. No, I personally am not interested in any more research on anything. Uh, again, if you go look at the research that's already been done, you would be shocked at the incredible volume of research. The problem is a lot of people who are natural healers, they want to show that XYZ supplement is superior, XYZ whatever um, device is superior, so they can sell you know so much of this device, that device, or the other supplement. But the evidence shows that if you can get someone to change their diet, if you can get them clean water to drink, uh, you're going to cure about 90% of what's out there. I could ask, do you know if pharmaceutical reps are still trading sex and illegal drugs? For the approved drugs they're still pushing. Do you ever see or hear about any of those le illegal practices? Okay, so uh, these practices are actually quite legal. Um, I can tell you my personal experience being uh, a doctor. So 
the first, they sent me the um, white female drug reps who are uniformly blonde, at least 20% underweight, and wearing a very tight red miniskirt, uh, which if the lady bent a little bit uh, over, just even like 15 degrees, would show a lot of, you know, private information. So obviously, it was obvious to me that they were sending this lady out expecting that she was going to visit a 50-plus-year-old white male who would maybe be mm, uh, attracted or interested to this in this kind of thing. But I saw this. I said, oh, my God, you poor lady. You need to get some honest work. I mean, these people are, you know, they're, 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 they're selling you into prostitution here. This is, this is terrible. <laughs> so that was my perspective. And so when the word got back to, we'll call it headquarters, then they started sending me African-American male drug reps. I mean, these guys could have been models. They did send me one that was a little overweight and wasn't quite 5'10", but generally that's what I got. I got these handsome, really charming black men. So it's clear that this was the plan, that somehow I was supposed to get sexually involved with these drug reps. I said, hey, you guys, <laughs> hey, I'm just practicing medicine here, not interested in anything else. Just... But um, so definitely trading sex, obviously. I don't know about illegal drugs. No one ever offered me illegal drugs, or uh, maybe the word got out that I didn't use them. So I can't comment on illegal drugs. But certainly the sex, you know, very obviously, yeah, pretty straightforward. Okay, we have one more minute. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think that the hospital are so large and beautiful because it has to look incredibly beautiful and sterile in order to fool people from realizing how deadly it is. Actually, they just have so friggin' much money. I mean, they could build these hospitals uh out of chrome and gold plate if they wanted to. Okay. Unfortunately for those of us who have health insurance, I think it's illegal if you videotape your doctor's visit. Is it really? I've never heard of that. If a lot of people videotape their doctor's visit, I bet it would be very telling how close to useless the, the care system is. Yes, that is true. All right, that is it for today. Thank you very much for listening. I hope that uh, you've enjoyed this and found the information useful. I hope I can see you at vitalitycapsules.com forward slash bonus. And as always, think happens.